Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 to 30 minutes for you to get at least one proven practical idea to run a more successful and sustainable business, and hopefully to make you think and challenge the way you're currently operating to perhaps think in terms of doing something different or better. With me today is a special lady. I always start with a couple of adjectives or descriptors of the guests, and in this case, I will tell you there is no one who hates the spotlight more than this gal. She's not physically cringing as I say it, but she's nodding her head in agreement. I don't know if she's always thought of herself this way, but I see her as pretty coachable. Probably depends on who's coaching, but I think she's very coachable. She's extremely curious, very strategic. And one of the things I like about her is, you know, there's people who are optimistic and there's people who are pessimistic. Joni is definitely not pessimistic, but it's not fair to describe her as optimistic. So when I thought about it, she thinks in terms of possibilities. She thinks in terms of Okay, how could that work? And I give her a lot of credit because she's in a a remarkable role with an even more remarkable organization. Her name is Joni Fetters. She's the CEO for Aileron, based in Tip City, Ohio. Most of you have heard me mention it numerous times as a place to go to really improve your capacity to manage and lead and run a more successful business. And frankly, I don't know that I'd be here today if it wasn't for my affiliation with Aileron and just what I've learned and how I've grown being around and part of the organization from a distance. So please help me welcome Joni Fetters to the Ed Epley Experience. Joni, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Ed. Very excited to talk with you. Well, I'm glad you are. You know, uh, I need to do a little background on you because you're LinkedIn. Like I said, you hate the spotlight, so it didn't give me much to go by. <laughs> yeah. Where's home for you originally? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland. Which side? You grew up on you're one right. side or the other. You're right. I grew up on the west side, so started in North Olmstead, and then my family relocated to Elyria, which is on Lorraine, Elyria, west side, Cleveland. And you still have family there? I still have family there, still a Cleveland Browns fan, and yes, we had a wonderful year. Good. <laughs> yeah. And the schedule only gets tougher next year. It does. It Whatever does, it is, it's going to be tougher. And the season's closer, though. Usually, we have to write our team off in October and wait a long time for that next season. But hey, we made it to January this year, so it was good. That's great. That's great. Brothers and sisters? Two sisters. And where do you fall into the hierarchy? I'm the oldest. Yep. And we That explains a lot. <laughs> it does explain a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I came down to school in Cincinnati, and my second sister followed suit, and she married a gentleman from here, and I married a gentleman from here. And then the third one, we said you're having babies, come on down here. And then eventually my mom mom moved down here. So we had, you know, we all kind of relocated. So we're all within 20 minutes of each other now. And make no mistake about it. There's a big difference in the weather between uh, the tri-state area and then the the west side of Cleveland. Oh, so much. Yes. It's amazing what three hour drive (laughs) does for you. I get it. Did you know growing up that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I had no idea. I can tell you the three jobs I thought I was going to do. I was so intrigued with being a garbage man. I thought it was absolutely cool (laughs) that they got to be outside all day, hang off the back of a truck and, you know, kind of work at their own pace. So I thought that was really awesome and admired that job for a long time. And then- Wait a minute, when did it cease being a possibility for a career? (laughs) No, it 
just, I guess I just kind of like left it behind for the next thought, but I know that was on my radar for a long time. And then I remember taking a, one of those assessment tests in school and it told me that I'd be a great park ranger. I could see that. I thought that was really intriguing, you know, like being outside again. And I probably, I'm an introvert in some ways, but I think it probably would have over time maybe not work there. And then my best friend who lived two stores down, we spent an entire summer one year writing and copying a medical dictionary. And we thought we were going to be doctors. So we would sit on the front steps and literally write word for word that dictionary into our notebooks. I'm not sure what we thought it was, but we thought we were going to be doctors. For th- Those were the three things that originally I think I was, I probably had hints of it. I organized, I can't tell you how many muscular dystrophy little fairs out in the front yard mm-hmm. where you raise money or, you know, we did the typical paper route I had and lemonade stands. And then we spent one year doing elderberry picking and putting elderberries in a jar and selling them for 50 cents. And I don't know if you know how many elderberries go in a jar, but it's a I'm lot. I'm a farm boy. I know exactly yeah. how many it takes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's like pulling mustard weed. People, if you oh. don't know how, you ought to look up elderberries in Wikipedia or wherever. And when you see how small they are and then, yeah, to make something out of anything, make a pie out of elderberries takes a huge amount of effort. So... I get it. Who most influenced you before, maybe before college or maybe before you got to 21 to become the the businesswoman you've become, do you think? Because most of us have imprints of people that caused us to be the kind of entrepreneur or to be interested in the kinds of things we are. I'm just curious if you feel like you've had influences at that age. Yeah, I love the question. And I can say, I think without a doubt, it was my parents and my family. Were they entrepreneurs? No, they weren't. But it was the environment that they created in our house that I didn't know at the time, but it attracted me to the culture of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. I kind of grew up in a house that didn't have a lot of structure or a lot of no's. And you had the freedom to do lots of different things. And you also knew you were, if you wanted your bike fixed, you went and figured out how to do it. If you wanted to get a job, you went and did that. So there wasn't a lot of like no's. It was more just expected that you would go figure out whatever you wanted to do. Why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't you go do those things, you know? (laughs) And there wasn't a lot of yeses either, which, and I say that because I didn't feel like I ever had to ask a lot of permission. Right. I learned to just, hey, if you have an idea, you pursue it and kind of go there. Was the oldest, did you get treated different than your youngest? I'm sure I probably did. My family, my mom and dad got divorced when I was nine and... You know, my mom was a working mom then and, you know, my dad worked. And so I I actually watched my sisters, you know, at the age of 10 through the summers because right. we weren't in school. And I'm happy to say they're still alive, but I probably treated them differently. Like, you know what I mean? Right, like I right. had that responsibility of watching after them. Joni, I think that was highly influential on who you've become and how... I probably should have put down responsible as a characteristic <laughs> that you possess because you're highly responsible, but I'm not sure anybody we have on here isn't. So your mom was a great role model for you. Oh, she was. My mom was like just full of, she loved to be creative. I mean, we didn't have very much money growing up. And I remember she drove us down to Miami, Florida to go on standby for a cruise. And I guess there's something you can do. So we drove down in this little station wagon, having no idea if we're going to go on anywhere. And she got it cheap and we, we got on, but she wasn't afraid. Like her risk taking, she, she was a risk taker. I love so it. she would take lots of risks. Is she still living? She is not. 
She passed away. Gosh, it's been 25 years now. It's been a long time. I would have loved to met her. That's a special gal. Have you run into a lot of glass ceiling issues? Mm, No, I really haven't. And, you know, I worked in a, my first job, I didn't do really great at school. I went to school. I can't say that I. (laughs) That makes you an entrepreneur too. (laughs) Yeah, it it was tough. It was not my highlight. I thrived when I got out and started working. And I I started as a customer service rep in a plastic bag company because that was about the only job I could get hired to do. But I moved to a manufacturing company out in rural Ohio. And everyone in the office at that time was male or if you were female, you were in the administrative staff. And I had the opportunity to work in that environment and it worked out great. I mean, people treated each other with great respect. And I've always been treated with, I think, really respect, even when it's in some different environments. But I'd be afraid not to, Joni, just being totally (laughs) honest. I I would be scared to death if I treated you anyway other than with respect. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I, I think it exists. I just don't know that I personally have run into that. Okay. There's times I took myself out of the workforce, like when I had children. I've always worked, but I went part-time or asked to change my role for a year so that I could, you know, do stuff at home or whatever. But yeah, in general, it's not something that I've personally experienced. You thrived when you were at IMS, right? I loved that place. Yeah. yeah. You awesome. thrived. You blossomed. Yeah. You were already doing great things, but somehow it just unleashed you. Yeah, it did. How'd you get there? By accident. I was working at Jurgen's soap and lotion company and I got a phone call. I was in brand management. I got a phone call and I thought the recruiter said Heinz, which is right across the river from Jurgen's. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, sure, you know, I'm not really looking, but I guess I'll go on the interview. And then they give me the directions and I'm like, gosh, this is really far away compared to like where I thought I was going. <laughs> I went anyway and I, I didn't even know who they were. Like I'm like, Okay. I knew of Heinz dog food, but I didn't know of Heinz dog food. And I'll tell you what, though, I left that place going, I want to work here. Infected. Oh my gosh. The people, just the the conversations were so different than- The virus had struck. Yeah. It was awesome. You could tell people wanted to be there and it was really cool. So yeah. What year was that, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, that was- 92, I believe, 1992. All right. So they were still on the front end of the explosive growth. Yeah, they were on their way, but I definitely had the opportunity to join when we were still like on the smaller end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For Around sure. hundred million or whatever it was. Then. Yeah. 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 Do you think of yourself as a good employee? Hmm. For most organizations, would you be a good employee? I know at the IMS organization, you were a great employee, but I, I wonder, see, I'm a terrible employee. I'm not a good employee. I finally figured it out, but probably about 38 or 40. But I, what's the problem here? And I, you know, I wasn't unhappy, but I was never, you know, emotionally all the way comfortable in most organizations. Mm-hmm. And I came to the realization, well, I was the issue. I just wasn't meant to be employed by other people. So yeah. I'm just curious about whether you think of yourself as a good employee or not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I certainly know I drove a lot of people nuts. Like my one boss would stand there because everyone at our, one of the first companies I worked at, we're expected to stay till seven at night, you know? And to me, that was bull. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go for a two hour lunch and then sit around and read the newspaper from five to seven when I have family at home that I need to take care of. So I would leave every day at five. Is this at Imes? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other company. Okay. Yeah. And my boss would literally meet me in the hallway every day at five and point at his watch and I would walk right by. 
you know, cause <laughs> no, I was hardworking and I worked, I would go back to my stuff at nine o'clock, but I wasn't going to play the game yeah, of pretending it. that I was working all day. So I don't know. <laughs> I would work hard for other people. I, that was for sure. I mean, I worked at Burger King and I became the best cash register person you've ever met. I'm good at a cash register. So I thrived on trying to do it better and do well. But yeah, there were probably rules where I drove people nuts on. So you've grown multiple businesses. Would you rather grow your own or someone else's? Yeah, it was a great question. And I know what you'd say. And I would say 100% my own for sure. But then I started thinking about it and I'm actually running a nonprofit for somebody else right now. And I've spent 17 years doing that. I know that's what the paper says. Yeah. (laughs) But but it's your organization. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say is like, I've had the freedom to see the dream of somebody else and then help perpetuate that in a certain way. So, so yes, I would rather run my own for sure. I think so. I think so. You made the switch from running your own organization to going to work at Aileron. Aileron wasn't anywhere near what it's become. Was it a hard switch or was it easy to say, I'm bought into the vision, the dream, and Clay, Matil, and the Imes family. I'm just curious about how hard that was to make the switch. Okay, so making the switch was like coming home. Yeah. However, leaving my business was a struggle. And we were in a, it was a rough patch. There were days I loved being a business owner. And then there were days that I knew I was in the wrong business and the business that I had helped create. So that was my own issue. Been there, done that. Yeah. About two or three years into it, I was, I was in a business with a partner and he had had another business before. So he's really well experienced, but I just, it just didn't feel good. Like I worked at IMS and it felt great. Like you could I felt the culture. I felt the direction. I felt the strategy that felt the people development. Right. And man, I could not replicate that. And living in that infrastructure that's been built and thriving in that is different than actually trying to build it for others and perpetuate it. And I was miserable. Honestly, I was miserable. Yeah. And I felt so unqualified and disappointed. Like we ended up selling the business and financially did absolutely fine. I was most disappointed in that I I was not able to create a culture or a strategy or a direction for that business. It just felt like it was a failure, honestly, from that perspective. But when you think about how few companies actually hit the sweet spot, I know you may not care or, or value what I'm about to say, but you didn't fail. You just were normal. Most organizations muddle through and survive despite not really having a great strategy or even a great business model. They, you know, it's trial and error and they keep iterating. But the fact is to get to the place where you've seen in a couple of organizations now with both Aileron and Imes to really find your stride, it's, that's rare. So yeah, thank I you. think it's a credit to, to you that you've recognized it and made the change. How has Aileron changed since you've been part of it? And I, I don't mean because of you, but just because yeah. of the time. Because it's, frankly, I didn't realize you've been there as long as you have. I know. I look that young, don't I? You so. do. But everybody looks young to me. <laughs> <laughs> everybody looks young to me, too. What's really cool is the heart has not changed. The love for the entrepreneur, the love for the business owner, the respect for how hard it is to grow a business, yeah. a thriving business, a business that lasts has not changed. I think what we've changed a ton. And I think that is in the way we support that 
person and that individual and that organization going through. So for example, we found that professional management isn't really a one person sport, right? It's great that the business owner learns it and does it, but then they got to go back and bring everybody else along into why we're working strategically, why we use strategies for focus, why we are looking at our culture and our values, whatever it is, they have to do all that. And that's a lot of work. So I think one place we've changed is our heavy focus was only on the business owner at the beginning. And now we've expanded into how do we support them with that change and involve their organization in this learning. And so that's been a big shift. Probably, would you do our audience the gift of summarizing what Aileron does? Because I, I glossed over it. Oh, yeah. And I think it'd be important for you to put your interpretation on, on the table. Yeah, well, you, you teach this stuff. You facilitate this stuff for us. So you've got it probably better than I do. But I think professional management is a philosophy of how to run your business so it doesn't run you. It's looking at how you put the ongoing disciplines in the organization that help you break through those ceilings, grow, actually navigate all these different environments. I mean, look at the different environments we've had to navigate recently. And those are things that are like important, but not urgent. They're not the sales call or fix the machine or hire somebody. They're the things like, how do I set strategy? How do I find out what my customers want to buy from us in two years versus what they're buying today? So those are kind of like the ongoing disciplines that are important. And it's important to have both work in the business and work on the business piece. Would you add anything? I think it's wonderful. That's that's a good description. I just wanted to make sure I didn't do any injustice to the scope of the organization. What gets you juiced the most? What gives you the most energy in leading this organization today? Wow. What doesn't? Honestly, there's so much fun in what we do. Uh, we meet people like that just, they just have grit. They've got determination. They are up against challenges. Almost to your thought about being vulnerable. They're willing to be vulnerable and say they, they don't have all the answers, but they know where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for how do we get there? And that comes everywhere from the businesses we work with to people like yourself who are supporting that that journey to our internal group who's always looking how do we improve that process or system or the experience or support better i mean i just i can't tell you it's just energizing every day to get to talk to different people and see what they're doing has it been harder to scale than you thought it would be oh yeah absolutely cuz you got to keep you got to keep shifting you got to shift your own leadership style you have to shift what's important to the organization like right now we're trying to get people to value structure. And that sounds so unsexy and so anti-entrepreneurial, right, as far as structure goes. But we're wasting so much time because we don't have some common language or some visible decisions or some process or systems that we do. And so we're trying to shift our value of creativity and innovate into how do we pay attention and nurture structure a little bit. And that means you're just helping, you got to keep helping people change and navigate to a different piece. So... Yeah, it, there's there's one thing of coming up with the how we're going to do this or what we have to offer. And then there's another thing of how do we serve 10 versus how do we serve 3,000 people in right. that or 100,000 people in that system. Well, there's what should we do once you decide what it should be. Then you say, well, how do we execute on that? And then there's how do we scale it? And those are two different answers, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's been interesting to be to be involved in a small way because I'm not there very much. But to be intimate enough to understand that those conversations are going on and then to watch it as you try to 
make those decisions and then execute on it. It's It's been very interesting to watch the organization. And I hope the audience can feel how much I care about Aileron and how, how valuable I think it is as a, as a role model for other entities, both for-profit and not-for-profit. So anyways, it's it's been a blessing in my life. I know that. You know, you mentioned helping people change and even changing your own style. What what would you say is the most significant change you've made since you've been at Aileron and how you lead? Well, I would say at IMS, I was not a manager. I mean, I was woefully deficient. People got in my way or weren't like, it was about performing. It was about, you know, how do we like get this to market and how do we talk about it and stuff like that. And we had people that we worked with and I love the people we worked with. But I did not take any ownership in helping clarify direction. I just assumed people should know it. I didn't necessarily think about how they needed to develop or be supported. I mean, that was just like, get that stuff out of my way. And so through, you know, learning from so many different people, yourself included, like I've really come to value more of those kind of leadership components. So I would never say I was leading back then. I've had to learn and I've had to grow. And honestly, I've had to grow in a hard way because people would come to me and be like, you're not doing this right. Like you're not communicating well, or you're not like <laughs> telling us what decisions you've made or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, people have coached me because at IMS, we were just moving so fast that I would say the people that work for me, I'm not sure I was a good manager at all. I know I wasn't for sure. I empathize and understand that because I think I was much the same. My mid to late 30s and early 40s, I think I was adequate, but I was doing a lot more wrong than I think I was doing right. Mm-hmm. But part of the battle for most of us leading entities, teams, organizations is just being willing to make decisions. And you've never lacked for being able to be decisive. And yeah. so, you know, people may not always agree with the decisions you might make. They may not always agree with the timing or... but they respect the fact that you're not been afraid to make the decision, even if they didn't agree with it. And I think a lot of leaders and managers harm their credibility with their teams, their organizations, just by not being able to be decisive when, when it's called for. So I certainly wouldn't mind working for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've had to learn though on that, because I, I agree with you. There's a time we even saw it when COVID, right? All of a sudden with everybody shutting down and stuff, people had to start making more, a lot more decision-making had to go on and it had to go on in isolation than it did. Like, let's get together and I'll talk about this stuff. And it did expose in our organization, I think that confidence in that kind of decision-making. So I think you're absolutely right that there's a place for that and it, it does build respect. And then there's a place for like, when you change your mind and make a decision, how do you bring everybody else along? Right. I remember Clay always saying to me, Joni, make sure we're not out running the wagon, right? Like the wagons are back there. Like you've changed like direction 10 times or whatever. Let's make sure we're keeping them. <laughs> There's somebody that I, it's, it's interesting to hear him say that to you, knowing how often he did it to others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you just made me think of something I wasn't even going to ask. And now that you've brought it up, I need to pursue it for a moment. What has COVID and the pandemic done to alter the way you look at the way Aileron might go to market, deliver its services, and even the business model? Yeah. How big of an impact do you think it will have post-event, post-pandemic to who Aileron is and how you perform? I think it was huge in a positive way, right? And certainly we went through tough, lots of toughness with everybody else. But what it did was 
force us and force honestly our end users too is to accept a lot more of this virtual interaction meeting you in your office we're not spending as much time like and and we've talked about that we had done a little bit of it but it just forced it like hands down right all of a sudden this just becomes a normal way we work and this work that we're trying to all do together doesn't happen in a one-day workshop it happens you know in the work you're doing every day so we've got to be in the office with people not or on the plant floor or whatever using this stuff we cannot be doing it just you know once or twice a year so that's really helped us i wish so badly that we could bring in clay right now and i'd love to ask him knowing what you know now would post covid would you build the campus again if you had the choice yeah yeah and you know i think it's a great question I hope we'd still say yes, because I'm thinking there's still a world that's going to return to some place. And actually, the campus is still getting used a lot where people come and they do say it gives them an environment. What I'd hope, to your point, I think, too, is though, I hope that we would also realize that we can create environments like that in different ways. Like the campus is a physical manifestation, but can I create the same environment you and I on a virtual platform. And so I don't, I don't know. It'd be a great question. Yeah. I don't know. Got me wondering. Yeah, me too. Well, you now have to pay the piper to play. You've just been being sharing information and ideas that you have just because it's who you are and you're willing to do so. But now I'm, I'm going to charge your admission. So you have to give that one thing, that one piece of advice that that's just ultra important for owners, presidents, CEOs, execs. That, that one thing, if, if they want to run a better business, if they don't do anything else, what would that one thing be, Joni? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but just say, you know, learn, study, lead, and develop a system of professional management for your organization because it's life-changing, it's business-changing, and I guess said differently, like work on those longer-term, bigger items of your business while you're also working in it. She's Joni Fetters, the CEO of Aileron. I count her as a friend. I count her in many ways as a mentor, although I doubt she ever thinks of herself in that way with me, but but I do. Her counsel is highly impactful for me, and I hope it was for you. Joni, if people want to reach you and continue a conversation or ask questions, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. It's Aileron, A-I-L-E-R-O-N.org. And you can find my name out there or other people or more about what we do and how we can support. And if for any reason you have trouble, reach out to me, listeners, and I'll make sure you get connected. She's a special talent, special lady, and I'm so fortunate to call her a friend. Joni, thanks for being with us today on the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 